Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to another episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. I am your host, Terry, and today we have a special guest, Dan Andrews from Modern Cat Designs, where they sell high-end cat furniture and they do well over a million bucks a year. So we'll hear about his story. Before we start, a couple shout outs. We got our first iTunes review from Jules Escalona five-star review. Thanks for the podcast. It's really informative. Keep up the good work. I certainly will, Jules. Uh, Thanks for giving us the review. And if anyone else has any comments, please do leave it on iTunes. I know the interface is very clunky, but any review would be very helpful. Moving on next, we have some news about the e-commerce world. RDC Financial Insights published their eighth annual consumer payment survey couple of weeks ago and some key points I found in the article. Mobile payments have doubled in popularity, reaching over 33% of respondents and out of those that have made a mobile payment, 56% have used PayPal with Amazon and Apple iTunes tied at 40%. Now there's a small segment that I also found interesting, which is that uh, despite the popularity of digital downloads such as apps and music, uh, more respondents reported buying physical goods with their phones than online services, digital goods, or virtual currencies. If you check out a site called mywifequitherjob.com, Steve, who owns the business, uh, he has some interesting articles that talks about their experience in developing a mobile storefront for his business. And his store sells custom wedding linens. What this reminds me of is that if you ever tried to shop on your phone, you know it pretty much sucks, right? Especially when you have to scroll horizontally or you have to pinch to zoom in, or maybe even you click the wrong link. Right? And so it's very important as an e-commerce owner to actually have a mobile optimized site to make the shopping experience better for all your customers. But if you check out Steve's website, mywifequitherjob.com, I'll link to some articles in the show notes that kind of give some color on when you should do it and how you should analyze the metrics once you do. All right, let's move on to the main segment of the show. Today we have Dan Andrews from Modern Cat Designs. And just to give everyone a heads up, Dan has multiple e-commerce businesses along with some info product businesses online. But for this interview, we are sticking mostly with this cat furniture business. And so here we go. What's up, Dan? What's up, Terry? Hey, so how did it all get started? I know you're originally from San Diego. You had an office job. And, you know, where did it all start? Probably I got to give credit to my business partner, Ian. And uh, since he was an industrial design student, he, he's always having product ideas. And one of his first ones is, man, I know cat furniture. It's expensive. You know, that's we always look for expensive. What's expensive that we can improve upon? Definitely these carpeted cat towers man. They're like a couple hundred bucks, three, four hundred dollars, and they're ugly. So we thought there's an opportunity there somewhere. And was this your first product right out of the gate? Yeah, this was. We made a lot of mistakes with the cat furniture stuff. You know, we weren't solving a really clear market problem. It's it's B2C, which we found to be much more challenging in general. Um, it's a lot more difficult to acquire customers for cat furniture because anybody is potentially a, a customer. Whereas when you look at one of our other companies, like the portable bar company, that's a B2B problem. Like it's very easy and cheap to identify who might need a portable bar, right? 
it's like a restaurant owner and they have a real clear problem. We found that B2B has been a lot easier for us. And so for your cat furniture, it's obviously targeted at a, I guess, a higher income level customer. Yeah. If you look at like uh, the people who buy our products, it's almost solely in like San Francisco, New York, Chicago, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I imagine whoever's using this has like a nice house in the Hoya or some real successful businesswoman that has a lot of disposable income to spend on her cat, right? That's, that is, I think you just nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So, so how did you come up with your first design? I'm kind of curious about this. Well, I mean, a lot of it is just, you know, having that skill set. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to develop products, but this I think was Ian Dream dreaming up something in his head by, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel and do something completely new, which is what we did with the first product. uh, We definitely ran into a lot of challenges and headaches. A much better way to do it is to, you know, identify something in the marketplace that's already successful and popular and find a way just to modify it or reposition it for a new marketplace that you know something about. What are some ways you can test something before you even get in the manufacturing side? One of the best ways to do it is to set up landing pages and to drive PPC traffic to it. I mean, we still do that. That's the old like four hour work week, Tim Ferriss. Now it's old, right? This is to set up a landing page before we've started two of our e-commerce stores, um, including some of our most successful ones. You know, this is illegal, but we were actually letting people buy the product and then saying, hey, it's on backwards. So if the FBI is listening, I didn't actually do that. It's just for entertainment purposes. Manufacturers used to do that a lot too, right? They would put 1-800 opt-ins in a magazine. Yes, and I think there is a time limit. You know, depending on what your verbiage is, you have to be able to deliver the product within 30 or 60 days or something. So it's worth doing your research on that. A lot of the infomercials used to do that as well, you know, where... You know, they deliver the product within 30 days and they air freight it in from China. So there is options to do stuff like that. And so in 4-Hour Workweek, the key things you mentioned is AdWords and even eBay auctions. I mean, how have you found that to work throughout the years? Well, definitely we looked to eBay as a competitor to like show us where the marketplace is at. Uh, We spent a lot of time trying to get to the motorcycle fairings industry. And there's a lot of products that are happening overseas, like in Europe and in China. If they haven't quite made it to the U.S. yet, the first place they show up is eBay. So oftentimes we'll use eBay for market research. Uh, what was the other question? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> how has AdWords worked out throughout the years? AdWords, yeah, I mean, AdWords has worked out amazing for us. So, I mean, that's one of the things we don't talk much about because, like, you know, bloggers aren't really interested in hearing about it. But for our products, you know, we have enough margin built in that we can get really clever with advertising. And so we have a full-time guy that all he does is, is advertising. So PPC... Uh, Google AdWords has played a big role in our business. Yeah, and PPC has gotten very expensive throughout the years. Right? Do you have any tips for anyone just trying to get in the game? <sighs> Sell expensive products. Don't get into a, a, a race to the bottom. You know, I mean, you got if you're going to be a small business e-commerce entrepreneur, you need to figure out how you can sell the most expensive products. Like combine that with you being smart and clever, you can afford more than anybody on AdWords. If you're going to, a lot of people just think the easy way out. You know, I would, I'll do this cheaper, and well, you're going to pay for that. All right, so let's talk a little about A-B testing. Did you use that for your products at first in terms of finding the right price point? No, A-B testing is one of those things that we spent way too long to start doing. Like I see a lot of people because it is complicated or it feels complicated, but we use Optimizely now and uh, that has made it so much easier in terms of mindshare because you can actually run your split tests like with a sort of like you can edit your page on the page as you're there. So it's, it makes it so simple. You don't need to use an FTP. You don't need to do anything and you can run A-B tests. So that's actually, we've found some really surprising um, results. I know Ian has a background in CAD design, right? And how has that helped out? I mean, it's been invaluable. We wouldn't have a business if he didn't know SolidWorks is the, is the program that we use. 
Yeah, I mean, I think him understanding how to manufacture things and being able to design things is critical to us making unique and new products on the marketplace. Most of our online stores that do derivative products or the sole value of, our, of that particular website is just marketing angle or web usability or marketing or something like that, those businesses universally have not fared nearly as well as the businesses where we created a uniquely valuable product. Because then PPC and Google are just two out of a hundred ways that you can make money. Whereas like if, if you, you don't have a unique value proposition except for your website and like where it's positioned in Google stuff, then you're very limited in, in how you can make profits. What are some things you should look into when you're finding a designer? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it depends what your budget is. So, I mean, part of it is, is that guys that know how to do this stuff are pretty expensive. One thing to do is to leverage the engineers at China suppliers. So if you can develop a decent enough relationship and, and it's clear, like what your vision is, is pretty clear. Chinese suppliers do have developers. So I heard you guys talking on the last episode about creating fans or whatever. So if you go to a fan factory, all those guys, they have like thousands of pro e-files like in their engineering department. So you can sit down with them and just change those files. So that's one option. In terms of hiring people, you might consider design internships with local universities. Give people sort of, give a young designer. You know, every young designer has this dream to create products. But what happens is they get hired by a firm and they never end up being able to create products. There's very provide that opportunity to actually see your dream come become a reality. It, so this is an interesting kind of uh, emotional element to that career path because they have this desire to like manifest their products, but they don't really get that opportunity in the workforce. So if you could bring somebody on the ground floor, maybe like it's an equity deal or maybe, you know, you just do the internship thing for a couple months and then offer them employment after college. That's one way to hack it. If you're, if you're bootstrapping and then the final I've had friends who've done this, but I've never done this myself, is apparently in Brazil. It's one of a popular place to outsource industrial design is Brazil. Huh, interesting. I guess Elance or Odex, it'd be difficult to find someone of good quality too, right? With something this complicated. I don't know. You know, to be honest, we our strapping phase was with Ian doing it. And now we have a full-time intern and a full-time designer in our office, plus uh, engineers from our suppliers in China. And that really can't be overstated. I mean, the, the Chinese engineers help us out immensely. So engineers from our suppliers and from our sourcing agent. So let's move into sourcing since you touched about a little bit. Are your products mostly sourced in Asia or the U.S.? Uh, right now our is about 80-20 China. We've done a lot of manufacturing in Vietnam but not currently. All of our uh, manufacturing is in the south of China right now. So what's the biggest difference doing in the U.S. besides cost? Because I understand in China if you get the process down uh, you can't beat it in terms of cost. Well, it depends what you're doing. You know, I mean, it, it really depends. So, like, if you're doing wood milled products, you're going to do better in the U.S. One of the, I think one of the unique things that people, um, like the ground has shifted quite a bit. People assume, for example, that it's easier to work with U.S. suppliers. I don't agree with that. I think as a general rule, China is easier to work with. Like, they're pros. Their supply chain is excellent. Stuff happens fast. It's very common that if you're doing mass production in the U.S., it'll take just as long as it would if you do it with a Chinese manufacturer. Obviously, there's, like, really gross generalizations or whatever. But um, for like our big custom short-run prototyping, like all that stuff generally in the U.S., any kind of contracting, any kind of like, this is, you know, we do these like custom hotel enclosure things. Uh, it's a complicated product. Um, that's the kind of thing that we would do in the U.S. So anything mass production, I mean, I feel like the U.S. 
um, in terms of like not high end, highly technical products has really been eclipsed in general by what's what you're what you can get done in China. And like Michael said, you have these whole cities that are dedicated to making jeans or pants. It's just insane how fast they can move things around. And it, it really is a higher level of service. I mean, we're getting better service in China than we are from US suppliers. All right, so let's move back to modern cat furniture. Uh, can you talk about some big milestones you've had in your business starting out? No, because we don't have any. You know, I thought that we were gonna be rich and we were, you know, we were gonna make all this money when we got mentioned in Cat Fancy and we were on the CBS Morning News. and oh my gosh, we're gonna have 100 orders the next day. And it's, it just never happens. It's a slow uphill incline. You know, we're doing better every year and stuff like that. But there's no explosive moments or turning points, which was, I wouldn't have predicted that at the beginning. I would have predicted that there would be like this turning point. Part of it with the, we keep inventory, you know, and it, for better or for worse, like that keeps a huge damper on your business. You know, it's not like software. We're constantly thinking about cash constraints and inventory constraints and, and product development constraints. And, you know, you have a great idea for a product that might not make it to your customer's hand to, for, you know, 16 months. And then you have to buy more if it, if it goes well. And, and, and those are the challenges of, of starting an e-commerce or product-based business. But also I feel like our cash flows are more consistent uh, on the product side. Once we get a cash flow established and working, I feel like we can count on it a little bit more than uh, maybe on the information product side. And so you guys also have wholesale distribution. Uh, when did you guys start doing that? Yeah, I mean, that's worked out quite well, actually. I would say at least 50% of our cat furniture is sold by other people. Um, and, that, and again, that's one of those opportunities when you're manufacturing you know, your own unique designs that you own is that uh, people want to leverage that and make money off you. Um, and it's a lot easier for me to identify people who are starting dropshipping cat stores than it is to identify the end user. I see. And are they dropshipping from your warehouse in San Diego, or how is that working out? Yeah. I forget precise. I mean, for each business, it's a little bit different, like how that relationship works. But mostly what happens is they have an automated system that like it automatically sends us the PO you know, through their back end. And so our sales representative gets a PO and then we just ship it blind. What was the, the rationale for choosing it in-house instead of doing something like a third-party fulfillment center like Shipwire? We have high-touch products. To me, it's just like being super bootstrappy. And we also have B2B products that require assembly and stuff like that. So that's another reason is that you know, when people order a portable bar, like we assemble it and put it on a pallet for them. So if you, you know, it, we just couldn't get that done at a fulfillment center. So that's, that, that's probably a better reason. I mean, with the cat pressure stuff, it's automated. So that would be a better candidate for one of these third-party services. But I think at the, at the volume we're going, it, it's much cheaper than logistics. The thing about logistics centers, if it's not, if you don't, every I dotted and you have like a highly consistent business, they just nickel and dime you for like everything that you want to do. And, and that can, it depends. I mean, it really depends how clean your business is and ours is anything but clean. Yeah. So I guess high touch products don't do it. You know, if it's automated, it makes more sense. Yes, absolutely. For any of your listeners, um, one of the things we recently started doing is just offering our services to other people because we have house guys that are like really cool and they're really good and they always want uh, overtime. So if any of your listeners, I mean, I'm not saying that it's definitely a guarantee we're willing to talk to you if you'd like to provide our guys with overtime and maybe use our warehouse. All right, cool. And you guys use UPS for shipping, right? I see on your website. So what are some things you consider when choosing U.S. Postal or FedEx or UPS? Well, I think it's really individual. I mean, we're constantly reevaluating that and talking with the sales reps and they're always fighting each other for our business and stuff. But I think it's really particular. I mean, you know, for us, 
freight shipments are a big part of our business. So the service quality level of that service, I think, is what is driving our decision there. So building relationships with suppliers, uh, what are some some of the big 80-20s someone should keep in mind? Ah, wow. The biggest thing in China is is all they care about is cash. And I don't want to be all they care about. It's like a billion people, whatever. But, you know, that's the whole thing is like, you know, you can just see people in China as their eyes rolling when you like talk about your plans and like this and that. And like, they just don't respond to future talk. It's kind of like, where's the money? You know, I think it comes down to being able to commit to ordering products. And one of the things I recommend in general is don't spread around your love. If you find, if you, you know, find a small group of suppliers and try to focus on them, especially if you don't unique products. I mean, if you're just ordering their stock products, you know, that's no big deal, but you're going to find a much higher level of service, like depending on how important of a supplier or a customer you are. So one of the things I always try to understand is what percentage of their business I am. That's things that's really important to me especially if i need like a lot of service so you know for one of our i was just at the supplier uh, like last week and we had moved the business from like a 15 million dollar supplier to a four million dollar supplier and that was important move for us to get a higher level of service so we represent like a, a meaningful portion of their business and you can always tell that by how many people go to lunch with you by the way all right so um negotiating volume discounts do you have any insights on that Negotiation is a tough one. I was working on an article about that today. So, I mean, one of the things to do is to is to try to lock them in at a price at like a level lower than you intend to order, and then to come with a much higher. So to offer to basically offer them another price level at like a much expanded price. One of the things that like works a lot for us is um, telling them where we need to be, taking a real partnership approach to it, because it's interesting. Like the, a lot of the, the suppliers' concerns are so different than ours. You know, they're thinking about, oh, you know, like in order to pack this, I have to have three guys. And then the way that you design this, like the color, the powder coating, we've had a lot of mistakes. If you don't involve them in that process, they'll often not tell you that stuff. So it's important to like sit there for a few hours. You got to like let it leak out. Like I just learned from one of my products, the fact that it was white was costing them a lot of money. And, you know, they, they might not proactively come to you and say, hey, did you ever think about making this gray? So if you tell them, look, in order to make this feasible, like I need to order this product at $150, they'll, you know, and sit there with them all day, like you can figure out ways to get there potentially. So that's been, that's been probably our number one strategy. So let them kind of come in at whatever they're going to quote you. And then basically you say, hey, look, here's where we need to be. And I'm willing to work with you. I'm willing to change my engineering, whatever. I want to get to this price. And I guess as the designer, you probably wouldn't have much of an idea of where they can cut costs on their side, right? Very difficult to know because there's so many X factors and it can depend a lot on their particular capabilities or personnel even. It does make sense to let them know that you're flexible in the design. A lot of times they'll assume that like you're kind of stuck with the way things need to get done. And so it's important too as the product designers to say, hey, we're not committed to like, we just needed to meet the end function. And so a lot of your products are made in Asia, right? How do you guys communicate changes when, you know, Ian's in San Diego, you're out in, I think, Bali? Yes, we're both in Vietnam now, but yeah, we're constantly traveling. So, I mean, for us, it's about having clear change records on our designs, keeping clear version count. And that's something we've always been real dedicated to, even if that like doesn't ultimately get reflected in our legitimate engineering document. We always try to, you know, this is V3 and like, here's precisely what we did differently. And like, here's the quote for that. So, I mean, it's just about documentation, really. There's a cat Moxie on your website. Is that Ian's cat? Yes. He's definitely gotten a big head since this whole thing transpired. You know, he was a modest, good. Now he's an internet star and, uh, 
you know, it's been, it's been bad for his attitude in general to have him be our product salesman. <laughs> right. So to wrap things up, uh, where do you see e-commerce going? I mean, do you see third party sites like Shopify really taking off or, I mean, what's your view? E-commerce trends in general. I mean, I think that it's not so easy just to set up like a drop shipping site anymore. I think you need to think about pushing deeper into the value chain in particular, like never been easier to manufacture or produce a unique product. And whether that's bundling a standard product with information or training or other similar complementary products or what finding a way to change the design or change the approach, I think that's going to be more important, especially as like, if, you know, shop commerce, like all these kinds of platforms allow just anybody to start setting up a marketing website. So I think it's less of an opportunity to set up marketing websites. And it's now on us as e-commerce store owners to, to push down the value chain to see what we can do about uh, making great products. Yeah. And there's one thing DC or Peter Keller showed me. I think he showed me a site called Pangeva where you can, I believe it links to the U.S. customs importing sites and you can basically track where products come from. Yeah. And then say if they come from China, you can track, oh, it comes from this city. This city makes, say, jeans and you can basically reverse engineer a whole supply chain Absolutely. now. That guy's smart. All right, man. So if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how can we get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. Pop an email at uh, dan at moderncatdesigns.com. All right, man. Thanks a lot, Dan. Cheers. Thanks. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. There, you'll find articles, case studies, and tools to help you run a successful online store. Remember to sign up for our mailing list to get news and updates delivered right to your inbox. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.